welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Jeremy. How you doing, buddy? Good fella. We're nearly at holiday season, so I'm kind of... I would say I'm trying to wind down, but this week has been insane with planning, so I'm not wound down yet. Um, I am almost there. I'm on four-day weeks until we close for the holiday. And uh, as I sit here, look, as we record, I watch your t- your tree twinkling in the background. <laughs> so holiday spirit is in full view. <laughs> Our listeners can't see it, but I'll show you my Christmas tree in my office. I got a little <laughs> mini, mini tree that just gives Jeremy a little. It's not quite the same, Paul. <laughs> exactly. Hey, this week, people can actually see you because you posted a video. I did. I um, We do FHL, which I've talked about in the show a little bit where well, I think it's twice a year we get a week to carve out and do some stuff that isn't in our normal day-to-day and last year I did it on Postman and creating a bunch of graph collections around Postman. Funny enough inspired by work CJ had blogged about a long time ago on like calling the graph from a Postman but there was always like some niggles with it like you had to run a request to get the token and then run another request with the token you got to do things. And Postman had quite a few niggles on it not working with OAuth 2 in the way that we wanted to be able to do to distribute it. Um, and also we were like hosting the export of the collection as XML in a GitHub. And then if anyone wanted to make contributions, I had to then merge an XML file. It was like 8,000 lines of code. And, you know, Postman would always like touch every element of the XML, which meant I just had to be like blind faith of either, yes, this is fine or <laughs> reject it. And um, so they've Postman has now released a, a mechanism for hosting a public workspace and you can put collections in it. And so what I've done is the collection I did have, I've created a Microsoft Graph workspace and made it public. And there's a, you know, the collection I had in there. And now it's using all OAuth 2 auth and it inherits from the folder where all the requests sit. And so there was a lot of feedback on, hey, we really want to be able to use this with multi-factor accounts. And before it was like basic auth username password in a config string. <laughs> and so now it'll actually prop up a a Microsoft identity login screen. So you can actually put in a username, password, and if there's no multi-factor off in there, it'll work. Um, but the main benefit with Postman is, there's two main benefits. One is you can test app-only calls in it, which you can't do in Graph Explorer. And then the second one is, you can kind of go create your own collections inspired by this collection and, and have like predetermined things and maybe in a certain order and, you know, grabbing a variable in one request and then using that variable in another request. And I've seen like IT admins use this. I've seen devs use it to clean up environments or like spin up new sites or teams or even just to test things before you go chuck it in code. Um, often it's quicker just to do things in a in like a workbench like that. So I did a YouTube video yesterday of like how to get get it set up and you can see my Christmas tree in the background. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so I, I haven't used Postman in a while, similar to what you're saying. I, often I'll have these requests that I need to store and I, I want to put them alongside my code in, in uh, GitHub or, or Azure DevOps and that like you... I wasn't happy with the with the XML export that I was getting, so I'll have to go revisit the Postman scenario here and see uh, how it's working. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and the team workspaces, I mean, there's a premium aspect to Postman, and you can, like I invited Daryl, and me and Daryl can contribute in the collection, then we publish it so that everyone can see it publicly. And so even for internal teams, like that side project I run in the Apple Store, like I have all my test bed in Postman for that reason too. So there are some really good uses for 
Postman in an API world for sure. Yeah, you know, and I'll, I'll uh, add a link as well. I, I, I've been using the REST client as part of VS Code. Mm. It's an extension of VS Code that lets you do that as well. And Daryl did some work on there to yeah. implement the identity platform in that as well. So a couple choices for those. Um, and like you said, it doesn't, uh, Graph Explorer doesn't do app only. So if, you, if that's what you're working on, it's a... Uh, it's a healthy way to go. Next link we have is uh, all those um, advocates or evangelists that we've talked about before, Waldeck and Bob and Aicha. The dev, dev advocates. Waldemar. It's Waldemar. It's not and Waldeck. If you want to see their pretty faces, again, the, the whole group, it looks like, is putting together a developing apps for Microsoft Teams webinar called Learn Together. So uh, we'll put a link in there. Now, it, it's a strange looking domain called Splash That, but that, that's, it's a legit... <laughs> And this is a, a nice session. So if you listen to this uh, episode the day it comes out, it's tomorrow. <laughs> if you missed it, you will look for a recording. <laughs> um, moving on to the community. There's a bunch of community. So we, we split it up over a couple of weeks there. So thanks to everyone in the community who's been posting. It, it seems like uh, the post or the, the get it done before the holidays started. So we're going to start with Yannick Reekmans. Yannick posted about simplifying app-only authentication with the CLI for Microsoft 365 in Azure DevOps. This is a concept that we've talked about before, and I use it as well. If I'm using the CLI for Microsoft 365, maybe I want to use something in there to put an SPFX package into a team, into a, a site, or I want to do, uh, you know, update a web with web properties or something, and I use the CLI to do that, it's common to put it into a DevOps pipeline and run it as a script. And there are some improvements in the CLI now that will do things like, you know, certificate login instead of embedding username and password. Yay! <laughs> so uh, thanks to the CLI team and thanks to Yannick for putting the steps together for us in a blog post. And then um, Wichter is, you know, one of the, I mean, he's always been in the SharePoint space for, I mean, as long as you've been in it and me coming in as a whippersnapper in like 06 or whenever it was, but he's kind of flipped over to Teams in the last few years and um, has built the Yeoman generator for Teams. But this article he's written, it's actually really good. And there's so many of the little tidbits in that article that I learned the hard way when I was building out the build session last year that I did with Nicola and and Beth and Isabella where it's just all the little nuances of development and knowing to do certain things. And so it's, it's a really good article and I'm assuming it's going to get extremely high amounts of traffic because it just kind of candidly talks about all the things you need to watch for. I'm assuming you've hit a lot of these with the Teams app stuff you're doing as well, Paul. It, it, yes. And, and so for those listening, it's called Team Development for Microsoft Teams Apps. And Victor's point here is that you've got more than one person writing this team, Microsoft Teams app. And what do you share? What do you not share? Um, I, actually, I did run into this before because I, um, a little thing like NGROC, I was using the free version. And I got tired of the new URL, so I would, yep. I paid for it. And I, but then I had a project on where I ended up was running, I was running the NGROC tool instead of deploying some stuff that I had to fix a little, you know, one of those one-off jobs that sometimes you need to do. And while that was running, I went to a different computer and was going to start doing my work and I couldn't do NGRAC on the second computer because I didn't have two accounts. Yeah. And so th that kind of thing. And so uh, Victor has gone through a bunch of these and talks about what you should share and what you should not share. Uh, and yes, it's it certainly is. Uh, and obviously there's uh, some of more, it depends, but uh, it's great to get his, his uh, uh, perspective on this having been so close to the 
the Yomin generator and teams. And I don't know whether Nicola listens to the show every week, but like when we were doing that build, like I'd ring him because he'd be building more stuff into that. It was the moderator app we built, which was like a, a breakout rooms before breakout rooms that we shared as open source. And I'm like, Nicola, this just, just doesn't work. It's only works on my machine. I'm like, bloody developers, seriously. Of course it works on your machine. And so, you know, all those things we went through with like, you know, shared app IDs and or do we just have our own app IDs? And then, you know, if he added permissions to his application, you have to remember to add it to your one and so that was a really kind of interesting journey to go through after not working with the team for so long on those things yeah and you know these are common tasks think about if your app gets wildly successful you're going to deploy it in multiple locations so maybe you want to make sure that right, right. not only is it just two to developers but maybe it's two different app services in the cloud mm-hmm. or maybe your boss decides to open up the bot framework project after 10 months of not touching it and needs to sync things up <laughs> <laughs> naming no names <laughs> yeah i so, bet he had a good old british whinge about that yeah, too. exactly but anyway so yes thanks to victor for uh, putting these uh these concepts out in front of people and, and get to kind conversation started. And then the, the last community link we post to is a somewhat regular feature by our good friend, Andrew Connell. He's doing the state of the state, sort of the state of SharePoint client-side development for December of 2020. This actual state is not all that great. I mean, uh, Andrew goes through this thing. So thanks to AC for putting this together. And, and there's been kind of a lull in SPFX development in the latter half of this year, but he at least covers things that have been fixed and things that they've promised to fix. And obviously this is starts a conversation. So it would be great if uh, folks have opinions to get back and, you know, vote on user voice for the things you want and uh, start the conversation. And so this week on the show, I sat down with uh, old buddy John White. John is um, the co-owner of Unlimited Viz, and they do the tie graph tool. So if you've seen any any big events recently, you've seen the t- the trends on Twitter. That's John and his company put that together. And this started with a, a blog post that John posted about using Azure Data Explorer. And so I don't know if you've, Jeremy, if you've seen this yet, but it's called the codename is Custo. Have you seen this uh, tool at all? And in, in what's going on? Yeah, so the, the Custo tool is actually something internally that has been used for a long time and it's kind of productized and pushed out to c- customers. So it's uh, we use it actually as a way of getting graph data telemetry out. So we, I can go and take like an app ID and use the Custo tool to inspect our underlying blogs to, to do, you know, pull through and see what activities happen on an app ID or on a particular workload or whatever. So this is kind of an extension of that in a public sense, which is cool. Yes, and so uh, John started with a blog post that says how to to use this yourself and uh, for App Insights data. And I asked him that question, and we went on, and he gave us a whole rundown of what's going on in the worst space, the Power BI space these days. So certainly worth a listen if you uh, care about your instrumenting and reporting on that data. And so uh, thanks to John for doing that. And um, this will be it for the year. We will be taking a hiatus for a couple of weeks here, although we have a couple interviews scheduled that we'll do, but we'll publish those after the holidays. So uh, happy holidays to our listeners and happy holidays, Jeremy. And we'll talk to you on the other side. Yeah, you too, mate. Enjoy all the time with whatever family you're going to quarantine in on. I will be up a mountain somewhere, I think. All right, don't slip. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome one of the few people in tech who are older than me, John White. Welcome, John. I'm not older than you, am I? I think we're the same age. It's my podcast. I get to set the rules. That's fair enough. (laughs) 
How you doing, buddy? We're off on the right foot. That's awesome. I'm well, you? I'm doing well. Um, and thanks for returning to the podcast. Uh, longtime listeners will remember John because him and I hung out in a bar in Toronto. So uh, yeah. we decided to get you back, John, back on the thing. And John, why don't you, for those who are new to the podcast, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. So as as Paul mentioned, we're uh, we're of a similar vintage. I've been in banging around tech for years. Uh, well, netware at one point in time. Was Lotus Notes for a long time. Played around with a, a bunch of stuff. Land kind of landed on SharePoint and in the BI space uh, specifically. So uh, always focused on on BI with SharePoint. And then when Power BI came out, of course, it, it's, that was it was like a moth to a flame for me. So uh, I've been I've been zeroing in on on that stuff. I'm a co-founder of a company called Unlimited Viz. We make a product called Tygraph, which does analytics around uh, Microsoft 365 usage. So it fits the bill uh, that way. And I'm, uh, I guess I'm a two-time MVP. I'm a SharePoint MVP along with a, call it a Power BI MVP. Those aren't the right titles, but they get the idea across. Exactly. And so folks have most likely seen your work because they've looked at the trending tweets around some of the major conferences. That's all powered <laughs> yes. by Tygraph typically, yes? Yeah, it's, that's Tygraph for Twitter. It's our it's kind of our, our community tool. Whenever If you've got a, um, a not-for-profit event or something for the community, we'll, we, we will typically set that up to capture all the tweets around it and display a report of all of those tweets. Um, and that's all powered by, at the end of the day, it's, it's Power BI under, under the covers and it's uh, our data models on top of that. Yes, excellent stuff. And so this, with John being such an expert in Power BI, he's covered a lot of information that us developer folks really like to, to get into. And the, what spurred me to reach out and get John on the podcast this week is because of a recent blog post that mentioned App Insights. <laughs> and so, and so um, obviously, most developers are using App Insights or a similar tool to instrument their application. And so, first of all, I, I guess, John, what prompted you to start down this path of of tying App Insights into something a little bit more robust for reporting. Well, App Insights, it, it, uh, I've got a definite professional in, uh, interest in App Insights, and in it's it's similar to the sort of things that we do. We catch essentially all of the telemetry that's coming out of uh, Microsoft 365, as well as all of the stuff that's in the graph. We do inventories of that, and we bring all that together into a into a data model for, for our product. And App Insights is uh, one way to well one way to store that stuff it's certainly one way to collect that stuff and it's 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 a you know a known quantity if you're a developer it's got a known schema etc and it's relatively cheap so it's very easy to spin up an app insights instance and start instrumenting an application um, and but behind it is is the uh, it's called Azure Data Explorer Custo. Um, it's I, I like to call it Custo because what a name Azure Data Explorer. Don't get me started. <laughs> but it's got this Custo engine in, in behind it that's just blazingly fast and it can work with massive amounts of data very very quickly. And we um, at Tigraph have been uh, in the process of moving uh, our, our, our data storage tech from SQL actually uh, to. Custo to Azure Data Explorer. So App Insights shares, it's the, given that it's the same engine, it's exactly the same query language. And App Insights solves an awful lot of problems depending on the scale of what you're trying to solve uh, just in place. So if you just want to leave uh, App Insights in place and you can you can query off it, it's, it's, it's a great tool, but it does have a few limitations. So I've been exploring what those limitations are and how to get around them. Throw, throw the, the Wayback Machine involved here. So when when... 
I first got involved with App Insights and Power BI, and I would bug you at conferences. It was a case of we don't want to point Power BI just at the App Insights export, right? And so at some point, you want to have Power BI read a, a performant database. And now what I had done in the past was a stream analytics job to read blobs and put them in SQL because that's what I'm familiar with. And so it sounds to me like this is a similar process, but with different technology in the back end. Sort of. There's a few things and you touched on it. You don't want to just export the data out of App Insights and read that into Power BI because for lots of reasons, it's not very difficult to stay current. But there is, if you go into App Insights and you go into the export section, there's a there's a way to export to Power BI. And that's it's a little bit of a misnomer because when you think export, you think you're going to take the data and you're going to put it somewhere. Uh, and that's not what it's doing. When you pick export to Power BI, it actually gives you uh, an M query, M is Power Query, that you can copy and paste into a new query within Power BI. When you do that, it will execute that query against the back end of App Insights and return the results. So you can set up a refresh schedule in Power BI, and that's going to work for you. The one problem with using that approach, well, one of the problems with using that approach, is that it's using the web connector. So you're making an HTTP callout to, to do this. Um, and with the web connector, Power BI does not support direct query. So time to distinguish between direct query, I guess, and, and, a, and, a, and a cache query. And, and within Power BI, most of the time when you're working with Power BI, you bring data into the data model. And when you're reporting on it, you're reporting out of the data in that cache set of data. And then on a periodic basis, you refresh the data from the source into the data model. That's done by the service you don't necessarily have to do it. With direct query, you don't cache the data. You just, basically, you're just saving the queries themselves and they're always executing against the back end. And that was one of the recent articles I published was how to get, uh, how, to, how, to, how to use the, uh, what is it called? AD, no, it's the ADX proxy connector in, in a way that will let you take Power BI, point it at your, at your application insights but it will give you that direct query. So you can be up to the second as to when the data lands in App Insights. You won't have to wait that hour or three hours or day until the, until the data set refreshes. Okay, now App Insights by default only stores, I think 90 days of data or so. Is that still, if I do this export and I get the M query, am I still subject to this 90 day limit? You, you, you're subject to what? You're subject to a number of limits. We can get to some of those in a minute. But, uh, but in terms of the uh, how long or the data retention, yeah, by default it's 90 days. I think that's for free. I don't think you have to pay for it if you're only going to store it for 90 days. I could be wrong about that. But uh, if you want to retain it longer, you can. You're going to pay for it for a period. I think is two years maximum. But you can't uh, retain data any more than two years. And it's at, at that point in time, you probably want to get the data out of there and into something else. And that other something else, we still have the option to export to a blob storage from App Insights. Yeah, and that's the, that article you were talking about. Um, that's kind of the first step uh, of it. So the, the, the neat part, I guess I'll dive into what that thing's all about, <laughs> the, that article. So if you, if you really, basically, if you want to get out of, um, out of some of the, well, actually, before we do that, let's 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 get into um, some of the other limitations you have with App Insights. Um, you have a five hundred thousand row limit that you can query at one point in time. So if you want to return any more than five hundred thousand rows, you're out of luck. You're going to get cut off. And there is a uh, a size of data limit. 
And you can get around that um, depending on a number of factors, but by making multiple queries. So that's just a, a single pull will only let you have that, that amount of data. Yeah, and I want to I want to clarify that, right? So those limits are when I'm querying data. If I if I am running my application and 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 sending data to App Insights, I'm not limited to the number of rows. However, there's a throttle involved in the portal that you might see. But again, those are querying limits as well, right? So again, yet another reason not to just connect App Insights directly to my statistics dashboard because I won't be getting the full picture, right? Yeah, if, if if you got massive amounts of data now, Power BI has some you know nice capabilities. If you're doing, if you're not using um, direct query, mind you, uh, but you can build some functions within uh, Power Query. That's another recent article I've had uh, how to do that. So as as an example, I might have data for six months, uh, and that may be. Uh, a million rows of data, and that's going to pop the cap of you know, my, my limit. I'm never going to be able to pull them all down. But if I pull them down one month at a time, chances are I'm going to be able to get all my data, and I can structure my Power Query to do exactly that. That's what one of those posts is all about: how to break your query up. It, it, it still looks, it's still a single refresh that you do within the service, but you can break it out into multiple pieces. But I mean, you, you can still bump into throttles. You can only do that so many times, and you start to get throttled. Um, and that, that brings us to what we were what we were talking about just a minute ago is how to get that data out. And if you if you really need to get that data out, you want to put it somewhere else. And at this point, it doesn't matter where that somewhere else is. You're going to want to use that um, continuous export is what you're talking about. And that will stream anything coming into App Insights that you specify out to blob storage, which is dirt cheap for, uh, for, for, for storage. So you can keep that and you can obviously keep the data in blob storage as long as you want. Storage is a bunch of JSON files. Yeah, and, and if it's really old, you can set it to the cold storage too. I mean, if you really, as you said, it's dirt cheap to store that data forever. Excellent. So now I'm going to loop back to the back toward the beginning when I was saying how uh, I, I'm pulling data out of blob storage using the stream analytics job and pumping it into SQL Server. And that's because I know SQL Server. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I'm familiar with. And, and obviously that works. And you were saying now this Kustos slash ADX is similar technology in that. So let's start there. What is this Azure Data Explorer thing? So Azure Data Explorer is um, also known as Kusto. It's the database that powers App Insights. It's the database that powers um, Log Analytics, um, Azure Monitor. It's the tool that's behind everything. It was originally built by Microsoft to deal with their telemetry. So if you've got unchanging data, and that's the interesting thing about this database is you can't change it. Once it comes in, there's no update function, not really. Um, you, you, can, you, you can even have a hard time deleting it depending on uh, what you want to do. It's meant to analyze logs. That's, 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 that's its whole uh, raison d'etre. Um, but most people have exposure to it and its language, KQL, the Kusto query language, through App Insights or Log Analytics. But you can create your own Azure Data Explorer ADX uh, cluster, size that appropriately and work with that, you know, however you want, with whatever schema you want. You don't have to restrict yourself to the App Insights. It's a good place to take the data that you're getting in App Insights and store permanently or however long. You mentioned cold storage. You can actually set up um, ADX, an ADX cluster to keep the most 30, recent 30 days of data in hot or fast storage and, uh, and the rest of it for years and years and years into a more cold storage. But it's still available as a query. It just might be a little slower, right? 
but it's a it's a nice it's a nice platform to use first of all because it's going to have the same exactly the same query language. So if you can create the same structures that you have in App Insights, you can use the same queries you were using in App Insights. You can just bring them over or you can blend them together. So there's a way to do that. And then is this something new I can create from the Azure portal or am I extending what's already there behind App Insights for me? No, you'd have to you have to create a new cluster. It, it's a it's a new service, and there are dollars attached to it. You can get into it fairly cheaply. I think I think the cheapest uh, cheapest uh, size of the cluster is going to run you about two hundred bucks a month, something like that. But it'll scale up. You don't have to worry about scaling up. It it can go up and out. And you're, 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 it's going to have enough capacity for your your, your big data usage for for a very long time. But you can you can get into it uh, fairly cheaply. But you do have to build out your own structures. So there's actually a way to go into App Insights and uh, get the data structures and you can load them in essentially into, into Custo. So you can come up with the same, my, my article get, goes into the detail on that, but you can create your own structures. But the interesting, the other interesting thing, uh, part about, uh, and I'm using Custo and ADX interchangeably. The other um, nice thing about that tool is it has an automatic ingestion capability. So instead, in your case, you're using Stream Analytics and that's got a dollar uh, sign attached to it as well. But you can take Kusto and you can tie it to an event hub, uh, which is in turn tied to a blob store. And any time you get a new blob shows up from your, uh, from your continuous export in Application Insights, Kusto is going to say, hey, new blob, and it will automatically ingest that into its tables. So it handles like the whole, uh, it basically can do the uh, extract and load for you. And you can actually build in some transform capabilities on the way in if you want to. And I talked a little bit about that in that post as well. Yeah, and that's the key thing that, one of the key things I'm using that, the, that stream analytics job for is because of all the data that App Insights puts into that JSON blob, I don't need to report on all of it for my boss slash customers. I mean, obviously, if something breaks and I want to go digging into, I want a lot of that stuff. But at some point, I don't care about that, right? That's right. And so you're saying now that in in this in this ingestion process, so is that part of the the Azure Data Explorer tool, or am I doing this in the middle? Yes, it is. Like uh, it, like in the Event Hub slash Analytics. I guess I'm I'm trying to delineate delineate where this logic would be would be coded there's a few pieces to it um and if you're coming out of cold you can actually from your cluster you can go in and you can create an ingestion job and say i want to pull this from blob storage and it will go and create all of the elements for you it, the uh, the blob storage knows enough to uh, if you pick that option it knows enough to read the data from inside the file as opposed to give you the data about the file itself which is what you would normally get from um, from uh, from an event hub but so the the pieces to this puzzle are continuous export um, and then you have obviously your blob storage but then you set up an event grid an event grid is really just a layering on another service in azure that talks to an event hub so an event grid you create it from the blob storage if you click on events on the on the left hand side you go and set that up so you can create a uh, basically say have an event fire whenever a new blob is created. And you can go so far as to say that matches these parameters. It's .json, uh, it's got this name in its path, whatever that happen, may happen to be. So with that set up and you tie that, of course, that event grid to an event hub. So you get, you get that so it's starting to raise events. And then 
Kusto looks at the event hub and it will ingest anything that matches the criteria from uh, from a, a particular consumer group on that event hub. And that will bring that in. And then it will take that and put it according to a mapping into a table in Kusto. But from there, you can actually take that because Kusto is smart. Oh, wait, we've just had stuff land in this table. Go take it and put it out in these other tables with these other transforms, etc. So it's quite powerful from that standpoint. So in theory, I could bring over the entire raw blob from App Insights and store it in a table. And then in addition, I can do some post-processing on that? That's correct. So you, you could you could do a, what's called a one-click ingestion in, uh, in ADX, and that could bring in some historical data. Uh, but at the same time, if you set up automatic ingestion, like I was talking about with the event hubs and all of that stuff, then you're also going to be able to pick up everything moving forward. Which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that, that the ADX is, is not updated. So if I wanted to do, like, some, there's, some, there's some processing I need to do at the end of each day and each week where I'm going to be doing some summarization and I can update my SQL tables because that's what they're there for. So it's, uh, I want to drill a little bit now. This Custo database, I'm guessing I would not necessarily be able to do that same process in the same fashion, right? Well, it depends on what you're doing. If you want to if you want to change um, data elements in the rows that you've ingested, then it's not the right tool for that. But you could run queries uh, on that at the end of a day or whatever that may be and through, you know, whatever mechanisms you wanted to. And you, you could even do that um, on a scheduled basis within Azure Data Explorer itself. If you wanted to have a table of a summarized info, you could go and create that. Just don't look to be able to change that stuff. You know, at the end of the day, you might want to have Sales totals, I suppose that would that would work, and you could create a, a, a record in another table that had that data in it, and then the next day you could add to it, add to it, add to it. Just don't expect to go back and change history. <laughs> so in your – I think I know the answer, but in your experience, is the Custo database and the query language good enough that maybe I don't need to create these summary tables, or am I still going to want to summarize things to give that pop to my end users? The Custo query language is fast enough that I think you'll find, uh, yeah, you won't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I can... <laughs> I really do. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's, it's, it's really amazing how, how fast that thing can be, especially if you start to ramp up the, the, the scale of it. And then if obviously... SQL Server appeals to me with a couple of decades worth of T-SQL experience. When when I'm going to start using Custo, does any of that translate? No. <laughs> <laughs> However, you'll find an awful lot of support out there to say, how do I do this in Custo? How do I do an update in Custo, right? So you can, yeah, you, you can go that road. You've got another a a angle um, as well. I mean, Azure Synapse just released last week. And that is essentially the, the evolution of the SQL Data Warehouse, which is a different tech, but and, and it, it, that, that's got a significant price tag attached to it as well. But that also, you know, if you like, if you want to just play in the SQL world, that's another way to, to go about it. I played with it a little bit, but we, we found that uh, Data Explorer is meeting our needs, uh, or it's going to meet our needs uh, probably better. Excellent. And so if I haven't Azure Data Explorer data storage thing, and I want to see the data, is there a tool that I can use to view, uh, run the run queries against this data? Does it have an explorer for the explorer? <laughs> see, now you understand the problem. So yes, it does. And that product is called Azure Data Studio. 
<laughs> oh my, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Versus Azure Storage Explorer, which is the tool you use to see your blob storage. No, 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 this is Azure Data Anyway, uh, So Azure Data Studio, that's, that's one tool. By the way, there's a lot you can do in the web. There's a complete you know, query. I, I do most of my work right within the... Um, the uh, Azure portal. Um, it's got a it's got a web app as well for just doing queries, uh, etc. But if you want to tie it into version control, you use Azure Data Studio. And Azure Data Studio, the way to think about this, you use Visual Studio Code, right? Only when I'm forced to. <laughs> Only when you're forced to. All right. So you, yeah. So so you've used you've used SSMS in the past, right? SQL yes. Server Management Store. So. Yes. SSMS was always a fork or branch or whatever you will of Visual Studio itself, right? So Azure Data Studio is to Visual Studio Code as SSMS was to Visual Studio back in the day. It's it's really a it's a it's a fork of Visual Studio Code. It's not the same thing, but it uses the same idea. It's an Electron app that uh, you know you've got packages for, you've got add-ins, but it can run Custo queries. Um, remotely, it can do SQL, um, but it also ties into Git, so you can get all your version control. Excellent. And so just browsing through your blog posts, I can see some of the queries. It looks like if I'm in App Insights mm -hmm. and I hit the Logs button and it dumps me into that raw log viewer query thing, so that's... Yeah, that's it. That's KQL right there. And so on the web, I can do a sim I can do that, and I'm guessing this, this studio tool was going to be a electron yep. version of this app. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. And the beauty, again, and the beauty of taking that and putting it in ADX is you can take all those queries you've built for AI, um, App Insights and just they, they should run in the, in the new environment. It's got, as long as you've got the schemas, right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and if you're on a team of developers, you get someone smart like John to write all the analytics queries and stick it in source control. And the, Hopefully somebody's smart. And then doofuses like me can come in and just press F5 and off we go. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You can you can uh, you can connect to whatever. And yeah, I quite like uh, I, I quite like Azure Data Studio. It's fairly new, but uh, it's, uh, it's 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 good tool. Does Azure Data Studio connect to all Azure Data Storage locations or just the ADX? It's uh, no uh, ADX is a recent addition. It's it's been aimed at SQL. Uh, up until now. Uh, don't ask me to rhyme off all the other ones. I don't know if it does Cosmos or any of the other stuff. Um, I'm pretty sure it's doing Synapse now, but uh, I'm not 100% sure. But it's uh, it's it's kind of the up and come. Microsoft would never say this, and they probably don't intend it, but it would. it's the logical successor to SSMS. Right. So I if think. you're in this data space, it's certainly worth keeping your eye on, is, yeah. I, is what I'm taking from this. Excellent. Excellent. It sure is. It's probably not as full-featured as SMS and SSMS, but for, for my purposes, it's doing everything I need it to do. Well, well, you know that's that's kind of an ongoing thing, right? I, I, my job is not to do SQL management or even Custom management, right? At some point, I just need to see what data is being dumped in my dev instance, right? Or if there's an issue, I need to go find data. So if it's one of those that gets me most of the way there, I think that's a great thing to have in your in your toolbox for sure. So we spent a lot of time on this new ADX thing. Is there any other interesting developer type topics in the Power BI world in the last uh, six or eight months since we've last chatted? Uh, can you think? I know it's kind of a, a, a out of the blue question for you. <laughs> Power BI? No, it, it, it's Power BI is slow moving. It doesn't do No, yes, of course there is. Uh, there's lots. I guess I, I'd highlight two that I think are the most important for me. They've uh, in, it was announced in September. I guess it was the Ignite, the, the Ignite Virtual Conference. They announced uh, a new architecture for Power BI Premium, 
which is Power BI Premium, is the ability to, to essentially buy your own processing resources so that you're not on the same infrastructure as everybody else and you can guarantee you can guarantee a certain level of performance but also you can do with it what you will you're not throttled as much uh, there's a cost uh, a cost associated with it they've they've they came up with a new uh, uh, generation of that new architecture for it that has significant advantages not the least of which you don't have to worry about memory for refreshing on your data spaces but the biggest thing that that allowed is this new concept of the premium per user licensing model the premium per user SKU. And that will allow Power BI premium features, which you needed a premium capacity before. Uh, it will allow you to use those features without having to buy that dedicated capacity. And a P1 SKU, basically the entry level into this thing was $5,000 a month for an organization, which for smaller organizations, certainly for dev organizations, was a bitter pill to swallow. But it was required for doing things like paginated reports. Um, uh, for use, uh, for uh, doing advanced data flows, and a whole a whole pile of things required uh, premium. So now you can get into this for an additional per user price per month. Uh, so that's big news. You know, the the best part is we don't know what the price is, <laughs> <laughs> but we're assured it's going to be reasonable. I have a pretty good idea what the price is going to be, and I'm pretty pleased um, with what with what I expect. But um, that that's that's a very big one, uh, and then another. Uh, Big, uh, big development in the Power BI space that actually will be showing up this month. It's, it's, uh, should show up in the, in the, De uh, in the December, uh, desktop drop, which could happen tomorrow, as far as I know. But, uh, it's the ability to connect to multiple, from a Power BI report, from a PBIX file, which is the Power BI report format, ability of one of these to connect to multiple models in the back end, multiple data sets in Power BI. So typically in Power BI, you'll bring in some data, you'll, you'll build a report, you'll deploy it to the service, and there's a one-to-one -one relationship between the report and the data set behind it. Now you have for some time been able to create a new report that connected to an existing data set, so you didn't have to go through that process of building, but you could just build a different set of reports on that same data set. What you're going to be able to do very shortly is to be able to connect a new report to multiple data sets and then build analysis on top of it. It'll have a local model and remote models. So that's what they're, how they're referring to a remote local data set and remote data sets. But you'll be able to provide calculations that cross already published data sets. And that opens up a whole floodgates of, uh, of, of things that are possible. So I guess those are two things that I'm pretty excited about. Excellent. I, I can certainly see how different organizations may have their different models published and somebody wants to aggregate across them. That yeah. would be the solution, right? Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Without having to repeat some of the, all those same steps, et cetera. If you've got this, you know, a, a good data set deployed, why not just leverage it? Yeah. It makes life a lot easier for everybody. All right. So now if I'm a developer and I want to pay more attention to the Power BI space instead of you know, twice a year or so when Paul gets you on the podcast, how can folks find out more information about Power BI from you, John? Well, they could they could <laughs> they could subscribe to my podcast. <laughs> I, uh, we do a, we do a weekly bike uh, uh, podcast. Myself, Jason Hemmelstein, uh, who has also been on the show, and we've had you on our show. So there, there you go. 
but we, we, we come out weekly. I can't tell you exactly what day each week that we show up, but we're not that organized. But we cover off the news of the day in Power BI. If once a week is too short for you, I'd uh, follow Adam Saxton and Patrick LeBlanc, Guy in the Cube. Is the, uh, and they do a video uh, series. They do a couple of those a week. They're, kind, they're short. They're, they're five, ten minutes long. They tend to hone in on a specific feature. Um, I'll give you some detail on that. So that's a couple of areas. And, of course, the, uh, the Power BI team blog, which is kind of where I'm looking for announcements uh, on, on a regular basis. And uh, sometimes our podcasts are just going through what they've posted on the blog and trying to make sense of it. Yeah, and I certainly recommend <laughs> listening to the podcast because I listen to it. And while I don't understand everything that's said, uh, it's one of those that keep abreast of what's happening. And the, the videos for the guy in the cube ones are great. They are. I use that for just-in-time learning, right? Yeah. I don't necessarily want to watch that each time. But when I'm doing feature X and I want to go see a demo, I hop onto that. So Plus, they're entertaining. <laughs> As are you and Jason. It's great to it's great to see. Uh, great, listen, it's a great way to break up my week. So thanks so much for coming on and giving us this tip. I certainly am intrigued by ADX, as, you, as it's called, and uh, we'll dig into that. And I really appreciate that. And uh, thanks for all that TyGraph has done for the community. I know a lot of folks watch the TyGraph for Twitter dashboards to see what's happening as the events happen. And we'll continue to do that when we get back in real life, I, I'm hoping. So thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. That's awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. It's been it's been a blast as usual. Really good seeing you or talking to you. <laughs>